Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So we've been, um, over this last few uh, months, taking a kind of a slow walk, following, learning the way of Jesus, which is, uh, in, in the story that Alex told, uh, is true about all of us all the time, right? How many of you have noticed it takes Jesus a whole lot longer to get anywhere with you than you think he ought, right? Uh, that's just the way it is, right? Just uh, think about this. Whenever you're anxious about how long it's taking somebody else to get anywhere in terms of their growth and character development, how long is it taking the person over whom you have almost complete control to get it, right? So don't, don't be anxious about how long it's taking other people to get it, right? When, when it's probably taking at least as long as, as with you as, as um, you, you are taking with them. I love how the images of growth in the kingdom are rarely images of uh, massive change overnight, but rather they're images of incremental change over a lifetime. Remember, God is not preparing you for next year. He's preparing you for 10,000 years from now. The essential part of you will never die. So don't be anxious that it's taking a week or two or a year or two or a decade or two to accomplish kingdom purposes in you. He knows what he's doing. He is the one who will be faithful to bring it to completion. The disciplines that we've been talking about, learning the way of Jesus, are ways of partnering with the Holy Spirit as he accomplishes this transformation, working from the inside out. Uh, you will probably have noticed that there are substantial things that change fairly quickly as soon as we come to faith in Christ. There are things that fall off, things that go away, things that we don't even have to be anxious about, only to then reveal that there's a whole boatload of things just under the surface and even more deeply under the surface uh, that take a whole lot longer to, to partner with. And the reason is not that God can't fix those things as quickly as he addressed the surface issues before. It's that he wants to partner with you and you to partner with him in training out of those destructive behaviors rather than simply being delivered from them. The reason for that is because he has a job description with your name on it that will require you to have become good for nothing. Good, not because you're being rewarded for it. Good, not because you're afraid of being punished for being bad. But good because the muscle memory of your soul has been trained through disappointment, through frustration, through um, obedience in love, to be able to do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because there's benefit to it. That's the character. He wants you to become the kinds of people that he can trust to empower to do whatever you want. Character is who you are when nobody's watching. That's what he's up to. That's why it's taking 
the kind of time that it is. That's why the way of Jesus is always um, a, 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 a journey for us. We learn to take his yoke upon us, his way of life up, upon us. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about fasting uh, as one of the primary disciplines, as one of the primary marks of the way of Jesus. And I want to continue that uh, this week as well. Last week, we talked about how fasting can partner with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit deals death over time to that self-destructive part of us that Paul calls the flesh. Uh, but But um, in addition to that, fasting has almost always partnered with prayer. Fasting, by the way, is valuable in and of itself, but it also has regularly been partnered with prayer throughout the uh, history of the church. Uh, John Wesley, for example, the founder of Methodism, said he would never ordain somebody to Methodist ministry who didn't fast twice a week. Uh, that is a way of partnering with the Spirit in his work in our ministries. So I'd like to look with you at three or four passages of Scripture, two or three passages of Scripture, that give us some sense of how this works, if you will. Because fasting, like everything else in the Spirit, is not magic. It's not like the secret sauce. It's not the open sesame. If I do this the right way, then God automatically has to grant my, my prayer request. Fasting functions differently than that. So I'd like you to notice a couple of passages. The first one we'll look at is from the book of Ezra. Ezra is uh, one of the guys who came back with Nehemiah uh, from the the land of Babylon, where Israel had been put in exile for 70 years. And on their way back, um, a a collection of, of the grandchildren of the men and women who had been taken from Israel in the first place, their grandchildren now who have never seen the promised land, who have never seen Jerusalem, who have never seen the temple, have nonetheless a longing, a desire for home that has never been their home. Imagine, if you will, uh, being, you know, a a resident of a country uh, for 70 years, that's two and a half generations in, in kind of a biblical model, and, and, and now wanting to go to a home that you've never seen, go to a land that is in ruins, a city that has not one stone left upon another, but still having a longing, still having a desire that has been kind of inculcated in you by the stories of your grandparents, by the stories of your parents. Uh, and, and those are the folks who were going back with Ezra to to settle Jerusalem under the uh, edict of the rule of, of Cyrus. So Ezra's leading the crew, and on the way, he says this, verse 21, chapter 8, There by the Ahava Canal I proclaimed a fast. Notice the purpose of the fast. So that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. So here, you, you catch the story? 
Ezra has collected a group of of folks, uh, and they are making pilgrimage now back to Jerusalem under the covering of Cyrus the king. And Cyrus has, uh, excuse me, Ezra has, has, has told the king that God has called them to do this, that God will protect them on the way. But now as they are on the way, anxiety starts to well up because this is, a, this, this is not like get on the, on the 10 freeway. This is make your way through uh, deserts and through uh, areas in which bandits are known to reside and other armies. This is a, a trek of hundreds of miles with this group of folks, some of whom are children, and the question is, are we going to make it? Are we going to have the resources? Are we going to be hijacked? And, and Ezra said, I'm, I'm embarrassed to ask the king for a guard to protect us because I've already told him that our God will protect us. So his, he, he, he says, I don't know. Did I speak out of turn saying that our God would protect us? Or is this something that actually God is up to, not asking him to bless us, but seeking to bless what God is doing and do you, do you catch the difference, by the way? Ezra is petitioning God, but he wants to make sure this is what God's up to. Not, oh God, we're on a field trip. Can you make sure we don't drive into the ditch? Right? And this is going to become an important thing. So what fasting does for him is humbles them before the Lord. Lord, if this isn't something you're doing, we, we want to know about it. But if it is something you're doing, we're asking, we're petitioning, we're pleading your covering on us. And so fasting in this particular case, a community way of fasting is a way of humbling. It's a way of repentance. It's a way of submission. It's a way of surrender. It's a way of relinquishment of control. And, and sometimes this kind of fasting is communal. Sometimes it's individual in the history of Israel uh, fasting was a regular part of their annual honoring of who God was when they were getting it right, right? And it's supporting their petition, supporting their prayer, and it's part of that then uh, petition of, of, of asking prayer. They're asking God for his protection. They're asking God for his provision along the way, but they, they notice are, are, are humbling themselves making sure this is what God's up to. He wants us, in response to the prophetic word 70 years ago, he wants us to return. And in response to the word that we have heard individually in our own hearts, he wants us to return. So I have stepped out on faith and said, God will protect us as we return. Lord, did I get it wrong? And a humbling of themselves asking God in petition to protect us. And, and this is going to become very important because sometimes, especially in the recovery of the teaching on fasting in the last 50 years, fasting has become a way of twisting God's arm, a way of manipulating outcomes. If I fast, then God has to give me what I want. Please notice, fasting here is a way of saying, God, I want what you want. We're convinced that you've asked us to go back home. We're fasting to bring ourselves under that um, posture of humility and plead your protection as we simply try to do what we think you've asked us to do. You catch the difference there. It's not asking God to bless what I'm doing. 
It's me seeking to find a way to bless what God is doing. And so fasting invites us into that petition, into that prayer. So that's the first one. The second one is Acts chapter uh, 13, verses 1 through 3. And I'm just using, I, don't, I typically like to develop one passage completely, but in the interest of our conversation this morning, I think it's helpful to see a, a wider range of, of texts on this. So here we are. Uh, we are in the kind of the, the city of Antioch, which has become a de facto headquarters of the church after Jerusalem has been uh, uh, brutalized by persecution and various other things. People are scattered as a result of the persecution following the stoning of Stephen. And people have settled in various places. And Antioch is a primary place. It's a, a major city in, uh, tra- on, the, on the trade route. Um, and a lot of disciples of Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles, have, have settled there. And it is to that city that Barnabas uh, brings Saul uh, for training. So Saul, you remember, uh, was part of that persecution. He was improving Stephen's stoning and began to participate in that um, persecution of the church and was miraculously uh, uh, kind of saved uh, and and then almost immediately wanted to uh, start to to play for the other team. And that didn't go over so well with the other team. They weren't sure, is this some kind of a plot? Are we setting ourselves up for, for disaster here? So Paul ends up having to go away. Barnabas remembers who he is, remembers his unique combination of talents and gifts, remembers that now he's been, he's been um, maturing over the last three uh, plus years. And he goes and gets him and takes him to Antioch, where now Paul becomes a primary teacher in the Antiochian church. So this is the, this is the setting. Uh, and, and the problem, of course, when we read the book of Acts is that we just get a cliff's notes of a highlight reel, right? There's, there's, there's things happening everywhere all the time, and all we get is these sporadic, episodic moments, and we're, we're kind of jarring trying to figure out... Uh, it, it's a difference, I think, between... British drama, TV drama, and American TV drama. Does that make sense? Uh, Although some of the new American serials are are better at this. But but in general, American television telegraphs everything and beats you over the head with who everybody is. And British TV drama tends to let you guess for like five weeks. Who is this guy, and why does he keep showing up, and what is his place in the story? Does that make sense? Acts is like British. It's like, where, how did we get here, right? And we don't get all of the connections, but that's beside the point. Sorry for that side loop. All right. So in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, by the way, I... Did you catch how multicultural this church was? Already in the first three, the leadership role is a rainbow of colors, of races, of ethnicities, and this is uh, uh, the nature of the church to begin with. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, which is significant, and then Saul. They were all worshiping the Lord. They were all fasting, and I will say as part of their regular discipline, The Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So fasting here works in an interesting kind of way. Remember the church, following a Jewish pattern, typically would fast at least two days a week. Jesus fasted two days a week. The Pharisees fasted two days a week. This was the pattern. And Jesus expects his disciples, remember, Matthew chapter 6, not if you fast, but when you fast. Don't do it in such a way to impress people with the fact that you're fasting. Just get on about the business of fasting, right? And it's a way of, of, of all of the things we dealt with yesterday, but, or last week, rather, but it's also now a way of focusing mind, focusing heart, focusing attention. What fasting does is fine-tune your discernment so that you can hear the voice of God with clarity. With clarity. Fasting has the purpose in this particular story, right, of letting the church hear what the Holy Spirit is up to. Please notice how important this is again. They're not asking God to bless what they're doing. They are discerning what God wants done, right? And this is, this is a, a critically important, important thing. So as it turns out, Barnabas and Saul are part of the teaching team on that church. And just like Alex felt the call of God a few years ago to leave her ministries here at the Garden, effective children's ministry, powerful children's ministry. Probably, I don't know if you still remember the kids leaving Cohiba smelling like the cigar lounge after that was a good Sunday morning. Um, but anyway, sorry. And, um, yeah, sorry. Flashback. But, but a clear sense that she felt God calling her to that. And our church leadership felt the same thing and was able to bless her. And so they're saying, no, I need, yeah, he's still, he, he's doing with, the, with Alex exactly what he did with Barnabas and, and, and Saul, right? And, and notice, to the work that I have called them. So the Holy Spirit has already spoken to Paul, to, to Barnabas and Saul, right? They didn't say anything. They're just praying. They're just fasting. And then the Holy Spirit clues the rest of the group into the fact that Saul and Barnabas have been called for a specific thing. And he asks then the church to set them apart for that ministry. The church still does nothing about setting them apart, but instead prays and fasts to determine whether what Paul and Barnabas have heard, what they have heard, is in fact what the Holy Spirit's up to. So fasting over at this stage of the, the, the game Communal gathering together, communal praying together is a way of hearing God's voice and then clarifying that so that we can be sure that when we send these guys off, they are going off in the plan and purpose of God. And when they had then fasted and prayed, when they had clarified the heart, the mind, the the motives for the hearing of the Spirit, for the discernment of wisdom and direction, then they sent them off, they laid hands on them, they blessed them, and they sent them off into mission and ministry on the first of what would become three uh, missionary journeys of, of, well, two for Paul and Barnabas, and then later on uh, Silas went with him. So this is a, this is, this is a, a sign- because the norm is what? Stay where you are, do what is at hand for you to do. If God wants you to do something else, he has a way of letting you know that. And fasting is a way of clearing 
uh, it's like back in the days, and I don't know if this illustration will even work. I'm going to try. Because y'all have been raised with digital radios, right? So you just punch in whatever the number is, 89.3, and you end up with KPCC, right? NPR, which tells you what I listen to because I don't know the call letters of any other station. Any other NPR people out there? Thank you. Thank you. All right. But back in the day, there used to be a, um, a what was called a, a, a flux a capacitor, not a flux capacitor. That's <laughs> something else entirely. But anyway, there used to be a, a way of tuning a radio that would take these, these um, um, uh, sheaves of metal and, and interweave them like this. And you could tune in. You hear it on some of the old movies. We'd tune in. And, and it would get close and loud, and then it would fade, fade away, right? Does anybody know? Is this worthwhile going here? So fasting is a way of tuning my interests and the interests of the Holy Spirit so I can hear with clarity, without interference, what God is actually up to. That's what fasting does. So they're, they're here they're fasting, and in the middle of that fast, their attunement is so great that they're able to hear with clarity I need Paul and Barnabas set aside. I've got work for them to do. Their response is, okay, let, we're going we're gonna to tune out all of the... Because I'm guessing Paul and Barnabas had effective ministries in Antioch at the time. To set them apart was going to cost the church something. Okay, we, let's, let's set aside self-interest. Let's set aside what we want to happen. Let's set aside all and anything that would get in the way of hearing with crystal clarity the single voice on this that we want to hear. What's the Spirit saying to the church? And fasting has that function. Uh, So that, for example, what it would look like in our community here might be for you as an individual. If you're you're in in the middle of something, a decision being made about a relationship or about a marriage or about a job or about a relocation, or about stepping into a new area of ministry, fasting may be a way for you to get rid of all of the stuff that is floating around your head, the lists of pros and cons that you've already figured out how to balance, because that's how we do it, right? We we worry in God's presence and call that prayer. (laughs) That's not prayer that's micromanaging the universe <laughs> and calling it prayer. No, no, no. What fasting does is, 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 is gets rid of all of the external stuff. And by that, I mean what I want. What I want. What you want is, is of no small consequence to God. In fact, I will argue that fasting is one of the ways of saying to God, this is something about which I'm deeply concerned and deeply focused, right? But I want what you want more than I want what I want. So I want to make sure that what I want and what you want are aligned so that I'm hearing with crystal clarity, this is the way, walk this way. And people who have fasted have given testimony, in my, in my own journey is the same thing, uh, that, that things that were unclear have become crystal clear. Right? Through, through, through a, a, a regular... Dis- it's not magic. It's not magic sauce. It's, 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 it's a disciplined way 
of hearing so that I can quickly discern, oh, that's the voice of the Spirit. I recognize that. Yeah? Now, is that illustration worth doing in the second service? Okay. You never know. Um, so that's the, that's the second thing. It's part of, part of clarification and part of discernment for wisdom and direction. Here's the final one that I'd like you to look at just a few chapters later. By this time, Paul and Barnabas had, had significant success and have uh, seen the church grow exponentially to the point that they are needing to appoint leaders and elders in churches. Uh, many of them they will never go back to. Uh, remember, it is not long after this that Paul is going to end up in prison for the rest of his professional career. Uh, and, and so the, the, the setting of the churches in order is, becomes a, a primary focus. So uh, verse, verse 20, they preached the gospel in that city when a large number of converts, then they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Paul says they must, we must go through many hardships in order to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for each of them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. You catch that? So again, fasting here and prayer going together discerns who and then intensifies the prayer for God's blessing upon these whom he is blessing. So, so it's, it's who, who God, so, so when we were setting the church in order here seven or eight years ago uh, and, and seeking to uh, establish people to be elders, right? We're just, we're, Lord, who's elding? Who's, who's caring for the flock? We don't want to put somebody in a position, give them a title, and then expect them to do what that title requires. We want somebody who's already doing it, whose gifts, the, who the Spirit has already gifted to, 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 to do that. And so our elders are basically people who are already elding, who are already caring for your souls, who are already praying for you, who are already concerned about not business decisions for the life of the church. That, that's a whole other ballgame, and, and an important ballgame. But really, elders serve as the, the kind of almost co-pastors in a way because we want to know who's, who's, who's hospitable, who's solid in their, in their faith. Yeah, we wobble all the time. Why? Because we're wobblers. That's what we do, right? It's not perfect. There's no such thing as perfect anything. It's just us. Right? So, so, Spirit of the living God, who's, who's doing that? And for Paul and Barnabas, in this case, fasting was a fundamental part of that discernment process. And then, when they prayed for them, when they laid hands on them, fasting became a way of intensifying the desire that they had that God would use and bless them. So, sometimes God cares about how much you care about what you're asking for. And fasting is one of the ways to focus the genuineness of your individual desire. And this is, this is not insignificant. On his way to training us to be the kinds of people that he can trust, one of the things that God is doing in us is purifying desire so that when it's all over, he can give us 
the desires of our heart. And the reason I want to lean on that for a minute is that desires are not wants in the moment. Even though we use the language of desire. Desires are not even embedded things that we secretly long for. Desires are those things that are part of your makeup as a part of the image of God. And we can get distracted in our desires for success, for prosperity on on one level, but also for personal fulfillment and achievement on another level to the point that he can't give us the true desires of our heart because our hands are so full with the desires that we have generated and manufactured. Right? So part of fasting is to say, let's take out the stuff. It's not un- insignificant. They're not unimportant. It's not that those things don't matter. I get that this is what you want. I get it. But let's put those aside. And fasting is one of the ways in which we can bring ourselves into alignment. Our desires, our longings into alignment for what God is actually doing. We want this more than we want anything else. And then Jesus says, you can ask what you want in my name, and I will give it to you. Why? Because our wanting has been shaped to alignment by our abiding in him. Right? So he can give us the desires of our heart, not the things we really wish for, not the things we're holding our breath like the three-year-old in Walmart until mom buys us that thing. But our, our, our wanting has been shaped by our abiding so he can give us the desires of our heart which have become shaped by the desires of his heart. Do you catch the difference here? This is the difference between praying and intercession for me. In intercession, I have no interest in the outcome other than what God wants. That's it. It's one of the reasons, by the way, why I can't intercede for my kids. I can pray for them, but usually I pray that they don't get hurt, right? And sometimes intercession will mean they have to go through a valley of the shadow of death to get them where God wants them to go. So I have other people who intercede for my kids, right? I just pray for them, right? And so intercession <clears throat> is selfless. Uh, it's, it's, it's not manipulating God. Fasting is not a way of controlling outcomes. It's a way of humbling, of submission, of learning. It clears the deck of our, of, our, of our minds and our spirits. One of the other beautiful things that you discover about fasting is that it gets the body, the physical body, involved in praying. You probably have noticed that your bodies pray differently than your mind and your spirit do. In fact, some of you pray better in your body than you do in your mind or your spirit. That's one of the reasons why, for example, um, praying in a, in a chapel setting or whatever is really hard for you, but praying walking is easy. Or praying uh, uh, running as a, as when you do a workout at the gym, even, if there are still people that do those kinds of things. So... <laughs> So, so you, 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 go to that, you go to that gym, you, you, you run the track, you do the marathon, and you'll discover your spirituality is just popping with life because your body is free to pray in that moment, right? 
There are seasons of prayer, like Alex was talking. I hate to keep <laughs> referencing you, but thank you so much for showing up. Now I've got. Uh, but but for 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 parents of preschoolers, particularly, right? Your primary prayer is not going to be independent of your primary work as a parent. Just caring for your kids is a spiritual discipline and a form of prayer. It's not that you need to do things on top of that. That might be it. As we offer that up, right? As we offer that up as a spiritual discipline, we are trained in the ways of parenting, right? To Christ-likeness, right? There will be a different season when your kids are in school or when they've moved out of the house or whatever, but this is the season you're in right now. Do you think Jesus doesn't know that? Of course he knows that. So why would he invite you to a discipline that you can't do, ignoring the very discipline that you're actually ideally suited to do right now? That's the way of Jesus, right? So we are invited into this, involving our body in prayer, uh, and and fasting signals dependence and desire, uh, trains us in not getting what we want, food, so that we can want what we get. The answer to the prayers of God's heart. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? And let's just uh, sit for a minute in stillness, if you don't mind. Consider, what are some of the situations that you're facing about which you've given up praying? Or maybe about which you are still praying desperately in the hopes that your desires would become God's desires? Or maybe those things that you are really clear are things that God has put on your heart? Is it, is it a time for you to consider an invitation to make fasting a regular part of the discipline for you? To clarify, to seek discernment, to get good enough at fasting that it can actually support praying, to involve your body in intercession. What might God be doing in Long Beach, in your family, in your place of employment, in you, in you, that fasting would enable you to partner with him in? Scripture tells us, for example, that God's not willing that any should perish, that everybody should come to an awareness of the truth that is in Christ. So maybe one way to introduce yourself to the discipline of fasting would be to set aside a period of time during a mealtime and instead of eating, um, intercede for people whom God is not willing that they should perish. You know that that's his heart. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.